Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll stick with me because we are about to explore our fourth core practice. And if you just heard, we were in Isaiah 30. So I'd like to invite you to turn there or swipe there because we'll be talking about that in just a minute with this fireside chat with Pastor Adam. <laughs> I know that's pretty corny, but we were just looking at this week and it was looking like a short-handed gathering and live stream. So thanks for being flexible. Thanks for joining us. I hope you'll stick with us. We're looking at our fourth core practice, which for the neighborhood church means we are creating space. What do we mean by that? Well, to create space means that we commit to make time for God and others for transformational relationships to grow. You've heard me say before, and you know by experience, that time is not often found. We got to make it. We got to create some space, muscle out some room in our schedules for God and others. It's interesting because it's not always that we're too busy. We live in a culture that can make us too distracted or drained. So we need to set aside time for God and others. Notice that this core practice is two directional. We create space to make time for God, to sit and allow ourselves to be acted upon through prayer, spiritual disciplines, scripture. But also there's this second direction, and that's the horizontal one. To make time, create space for others. Because relationships with God and others is what grows us and transforms us. So this is a vital, essential core practice. No more so than these days, am I right? The APA, the American Psychological Association, said at the end of 2020 that 67% of Americans say that they have experienced increased stress over the course of the pandemic. So take three of us, right? That's two out of three of us are experiencing increased stress on top of the stress we're already feeling. But you don't need a statistic for me to tell you that. Chances are that you and I, we feel it. That's why creating space is not just a luxury. No, creating space is a necessity to grow, survive, and thrive in an increasingly noisy, distracted, and divided world. So I want to ask you this question, and I'd love for you to put your answer in the comments. What are some ways that you have created space for God and others that have helped you through this crazy couple years? What are the ways in which you've made time, created space for God and others that has helped you to survive and thrive and grow in an increasingly noisy, distracted, and divided world? While you're typing there in the comments, I want to talk more about the two-directional nature of this core practice before we get to Isaiah 30 again. At the Neighborhood Church, we prioritize stillness, silence, and spiritual disciplines because these are the time-tested rhythms that put us into conscious contact with God, our source of life. So for us, stillness, silence, sitting with Jesus, spiritual disciplines, how you hear us talk about it all the time, these aren't add-ons for growth. They are the essential ingredients for growth into Christ-likeness so that we can present ourselves to the world as his followers and imagers. That's why we learned these rhythms from Jesus. Luke 5.16, I love this verse, and it's one of many. 
But this says so clearly, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Notice that this was something that was regular. He did this often. And that didn't distract him from the work that he had to do. In fact, it did the opposite. It engaged him and renewed him and sent him back to do the work that he had to do. But also notice that he didn't just isolate. He didn't just go to a lonely place for nothing. He went to pray. And this is what we mean when we're talking about creating space for God, prioritizing stillness, solitude even, silence, and spiritual disciplines. But unfortunately, many followers have not followed in his footsteps. And it's to our emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, relational detriment. Think about how burned out America is these days. It's to our detriment emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, psychologically, relationally, that we're not following in Jesus' footsteps. So we need to create space for God and others. That's also why at the Neighborhood Church, we prioritize relationships with others. Why? Because relationships with God's people provide the greenhouse for which we can bear with one another, forgive one another, love one another, all the one another's of the New Testament. That's essential to our faith. You need other folks to flesh out the Jesus way and to grow yourself. But I also want to highlight that it's not just about creating space for already convinced Christians. We need to be a people that are thinking creatively in this world to create space for new relationships with neighbors and family members, others in our community that have not yet known Jesus as Lord, so that by creating space, we might create the environment that can help introduce others to Jesus. But this kind of transformational relationship with God and others, that does not happen by accident. We must commit, which is what our core practice says, to make time for God and others for these relationships to grow. So often it's this quantity time together with God and others that leads to the quality time that really forms us and shapes us and helps us survive in an increasingly noisy, divided, and distracted world. So, back to Isaiah 30. In this passage we just heard a moment ago, we see two things. Our inclinations to work and worry, as well as God's invitations to rest and trust. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. But first I want to ask you now, have you spent any time around a toddler? And for those of you who haven't, or maybe it's been a minute, let me remind you of one of the favorite phrases of toddlers. Ready? I can do it. I can do it. Now, the tone matters. Because in one sense, a toddler says, I can do it, because they're developing the skills and independence needed to survive in this world. Cool. You can do it, buddy. Go and have a great time. Ah, but in another sense, and this is why tone matters, you hear toddlers say this a lot. I can do it. I can do it. And that's the kind of tone that says, give me that jar of peanut butter. Let me do it. Actually, stop, mom. Stop, dad. Let me figure this thing out. The tone matters. Toddlers love to say, I can do it. This, in effect, is the context of Isaiah's three poems that we see in Isaiah chapter 30. 
from verses 1 to 18. It reveals also our first inclination to work and worry. Here's our first inclination. We look everywhere but God for help. And that word help, you could substitute that Bible word in Isaiah, salvation, which is to deliver, to rescue, to help. Isaiah is telling his people, you have this wrong tone about you going about through the world like a toddler saying, no thanks God, I can do it. I can figure it out. It's this inclination to look everywhere but God for help. First to myself and my own strength, and when that fails, well, we do what Israel did. They are in a pinch. They're a little nation afraid of a big superpower called Assyria, so they go and look for an alliance with Egypt. They look everywhere but God, and they find this other strong nation, and they say, help us, help us, help us. If I can't do it, maybe you and I can do it, but they're still not looking to God. The other thing that's going on in this original context is they're putting all of their trust in military might. My own strength, my own resources, and here's the problem with all of that. It's just not creative. I think this is what we still see in the world today, that we're going to solve our problems through might and our own strength. But I think it's this inclination that we're going to look everywhere else uncreatively, before we ever look to God and to create that space. But instead of just giving them a bad rap, ask yourself, where's the first, second, third, fourth place I look when I'm in a pinch? When something is bearing down on me, when worry is filling my soul, where do I look? Ugh, am I looking everywhere but God? Well, verse 15 effectively is the most beautiful invitation that we see in this whole chapter. But I'll put it this way. Resolve to involve God. That's our first invitation from God. God offers himself. He says, I want to be involved. I want to be with you. Look again at verse 15. It's powerful. It's beautiful. Let these words wash over you. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Isaiah is basically speaking on behalf of God saying, look, don't bow to Assyria. Don't bond with Egypt. But there's a third way. It's turn to God. Resolve to involve God. And then God says through Isaiah, what we just read, you'll be saved and strong when you come to God in quiet trust. Okay, look back again at that verse and look at these powerful words. Repentance, which is a turning away from I can do it to someone else beyond yourself. And then this word rest, this contentment, this way to just be still. And then you see this word salvation, right? And then you see quietness which is a sense of being still, and then ultimately trust and strength. All of these words are basically rough synonyms for what? Faith. Putting your full weight and your trust, not in everything else, but looking to God first. 
And this is the deal is that God still uses other things in our life. It's not saying to the exclusion of all other help, but ultimately the source of life and light is when we create space and turn to God because in repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength. Put your faith here first and second and last and all of these things will find its proper place within God's quiet confidence and presence. You see, it's a muscle that needs working out in every little way with every size weight on the little things day to day and the big things when push comes to shove. But if you work out resolving to involve God, it's what happens when that toddler moves from, stop, dad, I can do it. When they finally relent and say, okay, I need your help and I'm coming to you because I trust that you can open the peanut butter jar, <laughs> right? It's that move from, I've got this, I know best, to hearing God say, I've got you, I know what's best. Let me put it to you in these two ways. Creating space grounds us in God's presence and opens us to see the bigger picture. That's the first way, and let me tell you what I mean. We had our nephews and niece spend the night with us several months ago, and they woke up in the middle of the night. And one of my nephews came in and woke Amy and I up, and he says, hey, I'm a little scared. And I said, oh, what's wrong, bud? You know, we can talk about it. And he says, well, it's darkness. Darkness is my greatest fear. And so, of course, even though it's one in the morning, I'm laughing because what kind of kid talks like this? It's hilarious. He says, darkness is my greatest fear. So I says, okay, okay. Well, what if I come into the living room where all y'all are sleeping on a pallet and I'll sleep on the couch? And he says, that would be great. He says, because even though darkness is my greatest fear, at least I'm not alone. <laughs> so yeah, dude, I'll sleep on the couch when you tell me that. There's this sense in which despite the craziness and darkness around him, he became attuned to the presence of someone that got his back. And it's this way in which we can get grounded in God's presence by creating space, and it opens us up to see the bigger picture that we're not alone and that God is not done. Here's another way I can say it with creating space. We discern the loving presence of God by lowering the volume of our noisy heads and anxious hearts. This is why creating space helps us grow. We can resolve to involve God when fear sends us running like we see in verse 16 and worry sends us scared and anxious and alone. That's the imagery that Isaiah is saying. He says, your reaction is not to involve God. Your inclination is to just work and worry your way through it. He says, so you're going to run fast. Well, guess what? Trouble runs just as fast, my dude. And then when you isolate everyone else and you're not involving God, you're left like a lone flagpole, a banner on a hill. You look around and realize you've excluded everyone else in your life because you tried to do it alone. No, 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 no. Let's start early and often to resolve to involve God, to create space to get grounded, to discern the loving presence of the one who is with us. One of the ways that we talk about this most often is through silent prayer. 
It's something that we've been committing to each day of the month of January with the Neighborhood Church, and it's something that I just simply talk a lot about because if I'm honest with you, I'm still learning to practice it better and better myself. Let me help define silent prayer in a way that I think can help us as we create space. Silent prayer or contemplation is attentiveness to the presence of God without words. It's the way in which you can be with your partner or your best friend. and You don't have to fill it all with noise. You can just be calm and assured in the presence of another who loves you and has your back. Well, the reason why we're still practicing it, while it takes a discipline, is because worry, distraction, and boredom creep in. I need you to hear this. Worry, distraction, and boredom does not make you a bad Christian, okay? It makes you human. <laughs> it makes you human. So I recently heard these from Pastor Rich Viotis. I know I've talked about him a lot lately. That's because we heard from him at a conference through our church network. But he writes a little bit about this too in his book, The Deeply Formed Life. But I want to give you quickly five tips for growth from Rich Viotis, especially when we're talking about creating space for God. Number one, befriend silence. Number two, normalize boredom. I think we need to talk more about in Christian circles how a lot of times when you create space, you go off to be alone, you're not going to get this miraculous encounter. Normalize boredom and just grow in developing a sense of attentiveness to God's presence, even if it's not earth shattering every time. Number three, reframe distractions. Reframe distractions as invitations to turn back to a loving God. A prayer you can pray is, when you realize you're distracted, Jesus, I am here. Or Jesus, abide in me. Or Son of God, have mercy. Or Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Some breath prayer that helps you turn a distraction back to an invitation to return to a gracious God. Number four, from Rich Viotis. Embrace the truth that prayer is not something we master, but it is an act that forms us. Like any kind of discipline, we grow through time. And number five, trust that God is always waiting for you with open arms. This is what we see in verse 18. After we see this inclination of work and worry, we see that God is waiting for us. In verse 18, the Bible translation we read earlier says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. That word is actually wait. The Lord is waiting to be gracious to you. And then Isaiah tells us, blessed are all who wait for him. It's bookended by waiting, which leads us to our final invitation. Here's our invitation. However far you've run or long you've waited, God has run farther and waited longer. You might be carrying this baggage that, oh, I didn't create space this morning. Oh, I'm pretty bad at my quiet time. I'm pretty bad at reading. I'm pretty bad at praying. Guess what? The only moment we have is right now. The only invitation we have is for this time. And there's grace for you now. And then now, and now, and every moment. You can turn distractions into an invitation to know that you feel like you've put a lot of distance between you and God, but guess what? When you turn around, you don't have to run a marathon back. 
you turn around and you see that he's already there longing, waiting to be gracious to you. Which is why I want to close with this idea here. In this verse 18, there's two active verbs. God, who's been waiting for you, the Hebrew actually reads, he is going to grace you and he's going to mercy you. Some of you just need to dare to believe that God is longing to be gracious to you. He's been waiting for you to come and sit and show up so that he can grace you, that he can mercy you. What do you think that looks like in your life? What do you think it looks like for God to grace you, for God to mercy you? You see, God is waiting for you to create space on a quiet walk, over a meal with friends to be with others and see the presence of God in the face of these others. He's waiting to grace you and mercy you in moments of quiet prayer, sometimes speaking, sometimes not. He's waiting to grace you and mercy you through a life-giving conversation when you create space for others to help form you and encourage you too. So the only question, the last question is this. How will you create space for God and others this week? Father, there is so much life and love that you are longing to give to us. So may we, like open vessels, like cups, ready to receive what you have, sit still so that we may be refilled and renewed as we create space for you and others to hear your voice and your voice through our dear friends and neighbors. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who is with us even now. Amen.